God is strong, and he wants you strong. So take everything the Master has set out for you. Well-made weapons of the best materials, and put them to use, so you will be able to stand up to everything the Devil throws your way. Yes, stand, truth banded around your waist, righteousness as the protective armor that covers your heart, and standing with feet protected and alert, always ready to share the blessings of peace. At all times, carry faith as a shield, for it is able to extinguish the blazing arrows coming at you from the evil one. And embrace the power of salvation's full deliverance, like a helmet to protect your thoughts from lies. Finally, take the mighty, razor-sharp spirit sword of the Word of God. So, put on God's armor now, fight to the end, hold your ground, and rise victorious. I just love that video. It gets me fired up every time I see it. Hey, welcome back to our series. I want to welcome all of you across our campus locations. Uh, welcome to those of you at Loring Park and our Edina campus, the West Bank campus, all of you who are at venues here at Eden Prairie, and a special welcome to those of you who are joining us online. Wherever you're joining from around the world, I'm glad that you chose to spend the weekend with us because I believe God has a message for us here today. So welcome back to our series, The Victory. We're talking about how we can overcome evil in our lives. And before we get into the message today, I want to ask you to take just a moment. I believe that God's Word is living and active. And so we want to take a moment to just pause and to ask God what He has for us individually today, and that our ears and our hearts would be open to the message that He has for us through His Word. So would you take just a moment with me? Uh, and bow and quiet our hearts. Father, we do ask, Lord, that you would speak to us through your word here today. Father, wherever we are in the world, may we just pause right now and focus on you. Father, may we be sensitive to how you are speaking to us. And Father, may you give to us one thing, one truth that we need to hold on to this week. And Father, I pray that because of that, we would be changed by your word to us today. And I pray that for all of us. In the name of Jesus, amen. I want to begin by asking a question. Where do you find hope in the midst of a hopeless situation? Just earlier this spring, Chris, an active, very healthy, early 60-year-old man, had a struggle with his heart. He had a known issue with his heart vowel and had planned to go in this fall to have it repaired, but several months before the scheduled surgery, things just stopped working the right way, and he was rushed off to the hospital. And here Chris is, over the course of the next three weeks, has five open heart surgeries. And every news report we received on Chris got progressively worse. We found out that midway through those open heart surgeries, he had a blood infection and it started to affect his brain. And all of this happened in the midst of COVID. And so his friends and his family weren't able to be by his bedside during this really dark medical season he was going through. In a situation like that, where do you find hope? Where do you find hope for the situations that you're going through right now? It may, it's not as dramatic as what Chris's was experiencing, but it's no less significant for you. Maybe you're in a work situation and it seems like there is just no hope for you in your job. 
Or, or maybe you're looking for a job and it seems like all you've been receiving are rejection letter after rejection letter and you're just wondering where is the hope in this season and in this situation? Or maybe you're a student and just this hybrid learning or this online learning has just kind of got you down and you're, you're stuck at home with your family and you just can't see your friends anymore and you're just wondering where is the hope in life? Or maybe you're looking for that relationship and you just can't seem to find the right person, but you're finding all the wrong people and you're wondering where in the world is hope? And that's actually a great question. And not only where is hope and where do we find hope, but maybe more fundamentally, what is hope? You know, for some people, hope is all about a positive spirit. It's all about having the perspective that there's a bright side to everything. It's, it's the, the sun's gonna come up tomorrow and tomorrow's gonna be better than today. And for many people, hope like that, it's kind of like this hat. It's really comfortable to say those fun words and it's warm and it's cozy and, you know, it, it, it's kind of snug. But after a while, you know, a hat like this, it gets kind of itchy. And that perspective, that positivity eventually it kind of starts to run out. And where do you have hope when it just seems like all your positive vibes are coming up empty and coming up shallow? And you realize that when hope is just all about a positive perspective in life, when you run out of your positive perspective, you run out of hope. And hope like that, kind of like this hat, it's just seasonal. It's not lasting hope. Now for other people, hope is about resources. It's all about having what is new or what is next. And so if I can just find that new job and, and get the next promotion, if I can have a little more autonomy in my job, then now I'm gonna, have, I'm gonna have hope. Or if we can just make a little bit more money and have a little more security, a little more financial freedom, then hope is, is gonna come. Or maybe if it's not hope and the new resources, it's kind of the next relationship. You know, if I can just get married, then everything's gonna be fine. Or if I can just get the right friend group, everything's gonna be fine. If we can just have a kid, it's, it's all gonna work out. Or if we can just finalize this adoption. And when you're always looking to what is new and what is next, you're, you're kinda like, you're kinda like a sports fan. And, and I love sports fans because sports fans at the start of every season, hope springs eternal. Right, the start of the season, it's like, this is gonna be our year because we finally got rid of all the wrong players and now we have the right players. We, we got rid of the wrong game plan, now we got the right game plan. We got rid of the wrong coach, now we got the right coach. Never mind, that coach came from another team that got rid of that coach because he was the wrong coach, but he was wrong for them, he's gonna be right for us and this is gonna be our year until it isn't our year. And then where does hope come from? It comes in the next season. This is just a rebuilding year and you're constantly in this challenge to find what is new and what is next. But here's the thing about what is new and what is next is what is new often becomes old and what is next is gonna fade away. And eventually, when you just chase after what is new and what is next, you're just on an endless cycle. And let me just remind you, at one point, fanny packs were new. All right, and, and some of you are trying to bring them back. They're not gonna be what's next, like they should stay in the past. Sometimes what's new is not necessarily better. Now for other people, hope isn't in positivity or in resources, but hope is instead in politics. Hope is all about this hat, or hope is all about this hat. You were worried, I just had one hat, didn't you? But, but hope is all about which, which hat is gonna win. 
And if, if one of these hats win, then, then we have hope and, and victory and success and everything's going to be right. But if the other hat wins, oh my goodness, it's over and, and it's despair and, and, it, and it's going to be a terrible couple of years. And, and it's all about which, which hat. And we, we fail to remember that the people who actually wear these hats are humans just like you and me. And while our elected officials, we are to honor them, we're to respect them, we're to pray for them as Christians, we're also to challenge them when they have policies that are unbiblical and unwise. But at the end of the day, our hope is never in politicians or in politics. These hats will not provide lasting hope. They may be helpful to move things forward, but our hope can't be found in them. So what do all these hats have in common? Well, all of them are pretty easy to wear. They're pretty easy to put on. They're really easy to take off. They're all very comfortable, but they're all flimsy. None of them provide any lasting support or any protection. So what we need for hope is not hats. What we need is we need a helmet. And specifically, we need the helmet of salvation. That's what the Apostle Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 6, where he talks through the spiritual armor that we're supposed to be putting on that we've been going through this series. He says, and take the helmet of salvation. Now, the helmet that Paul would have been referring to is a helmet that likely would have been inspired by a Roman soldier. And Roman soldiers would put on these helmets to protect them from blows against the enemy. See, oftentimes the Roman army would go into battle with people who had weapons that were swords, not like the Roman sword we have here. This sword is about two feet in length, and it's, it's double-edged, it's very sharp, it's great for close hand-to-hand combat. But the enemies who were fighting the Roman soldiers, they didn't want to get that close. And so they had a broadsword. It was about twice as long, a four-foot-long sword. And that broadsword had a massive handle. You had to use both hands with it. And the whole purpose of the broadsword was the enemy would take a big swing with it and they would go for the head. Because they knew what the Roman soldiers knew, which is why they wore these helmets. And they knew what we know. And what they know is that when you take out the head, you take out the person. A couple years ago, my uh, grandmother, who was in her mid-90s, passed away. And while she died not that long ago, I I tell people we actually lost grandma about 10 years ago because she suffered from dementia. And if you know anybody that suffers from that disease, it is a terrible and a debilitating disease. And what happens is it affects the mind, it affects the brain. And specifically, it affects and causes memory loss. And that memory loss causes a lack of judgment. For many Christians today, we're facing a spiritual dementia. Because many Christians today have forgotten about salvation. They have memory loss for what Jesus has done for them, and that is causing a lack of judgment on their part. We need the helmet of salvation to be on our head. Now, specifically, I want to talk with you a little bit about why this helmet of salvation provides uh, hope and healing for us. Because Paul, in his letter to the, uh, in 1 Thessalonians, says this specifically about the helmet of salvation. He says that it is the hope of our salvation. So the helmet that he encourages us to put on is the hope that comes from our salvation. Now, when we're talking about salvation, What we're talking about is we're talking about accepting Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior. 
That salvation is what happens when you say yes to Jesus. You say yes to the grace and the forgiveness that he gives, and you say yes to living your life following after Jesus. And when we say yes to Jesus, there comes to us hope in our lives. So what is hope? Well, hope specifically is this. Hope is believing in what God says about our past, about our present, and about our future. It's not what we've experienced. It's not what we've gone through. It's it's not from within us in terms of our own positivity or the resources that we can acquire. Hope is all about believing in what God has to say about our past, about our present, and about our future. And when you know what God says, it gives you hope. So what does God say about our past? Well, first thing is that God says this. He says that when we say yes to Jesus, we say yes to a new past. And you might be thinking, how do you say, how do you have a new past? What's that even mean to have a new past? Well, a new past, before we can talk about what that is, we have to talk about our old past first. You know, all of us have a past. And we don't often like to talk about it or think about our past. In fact, there's a tendency for people to kind of go one of two ways with their past. Some of us, we want to create a lot of distance from our past. We don't want to think about it. We don't want to go there because what's in our past is embarrassing. We we feel shameful about it. We, We want to run away from our past. We want to ignore our past. And we think that if we were to sit down with God and he were to review our past with us, we would be deemed to be unlovable or that people just couldn't accept us if they knew what was in our past. And so we try really hard to, to, to prove that we're different now. We're, we're, we're distant from our past, and our hope is all about making sure our past never comes out. Because we're worried that God just could never cover our past. Now, others of us go a different direction with our past. We go to our past and we think, you know, our past, it's kind of not that bad. I mean, like, sure, I've done some things in the past that I'm not super proud of, but, you know, we all have. And, you know, I've made some mistakes, but, you know, nothing that bad. But here's the thing. When our past is full of nothing but mistakes, we don't need a savior. We just need a proofreader, right? When our past is something that we can't own up to and say, you know what, in my past, I've actually done things that are wrong. I've actually created sin. I did things that I knew were wrong, and I did them anyway. And we can't be honest about it, then we can never really deal with our past. And actually, both perspectives, whether you're going to be arrogant about your past or you're trying to ignore your past, both of those perspectives have too small a view of God. Because they say, well, either God can't cover my past or that God doesn't care about my past. But here's the thing, God cares about your past because he wants to cover your past. So he actually wants to deal with your past so that he can give you a new past. Here's what Jesus had to say about that. One day he was at a dinner party with a religious leader in town. This guy's name was Simon and he hosted this dinner party and when Jesus walked in, Simon offered him none of the customary hospitality. He didn't treat him very well. Now, in the back corner of this dinner party was a woman who had a past. She was a sinful woman that had heard Jesus was coming to this party, and she found a way to get herself in. And she watched how Jesus was mistreated, and her heart was just broken, not not only for how Jesus was treated, but because she knew that Jesus had what she needed. 
And so she snuck up to Jesus and she took a jar of perfume and she poured it over his feet. And she started weeping uncontrollably. And those tears fell all over his feet and she started wiping them with her hair. This is kind of an awkward scene. And Simon, who's hosting the dinner party, is watching all this happen. And he thinks to himself, if Jesus were really a prophet, he would know the woman who's touching him is a sinful woman. And Jesus, knowing his thoughts, responded in public to his thoughts. Can you imagine what that would have been like? Luke records for us the interaction. Then Jesus answered his thoughts. Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. Go ahead, teacher, Simon replied. Then Jesus told him this story. A man loaned him money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces of silver to another. But neither of them could repay him. So he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. And it'd be easy to hear that story and assume that, okay, well, I think what you're saying is people that have a really bad past just love God more because they've been forgiven more. That's not Jesus' point at all. The point is that all of us have a past that we can't cover ourselves. All of us owe God an unpayable debt. And when we recognize that, we go to God. He's willing to forgive us. In fact, the apostle Paul writes it this way. He says that for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That means everybody. All of us are in, not mistakeville, but all of us are sinners and all of us have sinned. And we could assume falsely that if all of us have sinned, then God's not going to take sin seriously because all of us are in the same situation. But that's not true because with sin comes something. It comes a consequence. It comes something that we've earned. And that's why Paul, just a few chapters later, goes on and expands on this thought to say, for the wages of sin is death. What you have earned, what you are owed, is death because of your sin. That's an unpayable debt. You you can't give your life and, and continue. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So here's what happens. Jesus says, listen, you have a debt in your past that you can never possibly take care of. Here's what we're gonna do. I'm gonna take on your debt. We're gonna have an exchange. And what is owed to you, the death that is owed to you, Jesus took on for us when he went to the cross on our behalf so that we don't have to. But then here's the new past part. Jesus then gives us an exchange and he says, I'm taking what you've earned and I'm giving to you what I have earned. And what Jesus earned was a right standing with God. He was the only one that has ever lived a perfect life that was perfectly pleasing to God the Father. And so all the righteousness that Christ earned has now been given to you in your past if you've accepted Jesus. If you want a theology term for it, it just means that you have imputed righteousness so that when God sees you, he doesn't see your past anymore. All he sees is Jesus. That is good news. So when we say yes to Jesus, we have a new past 
The old past that you had, it is gone. That's why Paul says this in 2 Corinthians. He says, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. Not a cleaned up person, not somebody that like got their typos fixed, a new person. The old life is gone, a new life has begun. Folks, that is good news. And that is the helmet, the hope of our salvation that we need to put onto our head and we need to pray on, on a daily basis when our enemy starts throwing accusations to us about our past. When he starts reminding us about our failures, about our shortcomings, about that time in college or that thing that happened a few weeks ago or that thing that you have way back in your past. The reality is it doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter what you have done. It doesn't matter what has been done to you. If you have accepted Christ, you have a new past. And so we can sum it up this way by saying this, our standing with God has changed if we've said yes to Jesus. Our past doesn't define us. Isn't that great news? That you are no longer defined by your past and it is gone from defining who you are. Now here's the challenge. For some of us who are Christians and some of us who are believers, we, we know this. In fact, some of you are like, this is kind of a review of like basic Christianity. It's basic, but it, it's so true and it's so deep and we need to be reminded of it. But unfortunately, a lot of us who know this to be true about our past, we take off the helmet of salvation when it comes to our present. And it's almost like we trust God with our past and we trust God with the, with the far future, but here and now, we kind of feel like it's up to us. I struggle with this all the time. But the reality is the helmet of salvation has relevance for here today and now. So we could say this. We could say that hope is believing in what God says about our present. When we say yes to Jesus, we say yes to a new perspective on our present. Listen, I, I know it's been a tough year. It's been a tough year for you, it's been a tough year for me. Uh, the, the pressures, the challenges, the things that we are dealing with, the things that we're facing, I mean, we, we've never done before. This is my first time doing a global pandemic. I, how about you? And, and for us, like we've been trying recently to do like the hybrid learning thing and our kids are doing a great job and trying their best. And, but listen, like my, my wife and I, we're not teachers. And if you're a teacher, just God bless you. Like you have a special gift. We don't have that gift. And we are, we're just, we're exhausted. We're struggling. We're trying to figure all this stuff out. And now more virtuals come and new guidelines are being handed down to us. And it just, it feels like it's like wave after wave after wave. And a few weeks ago, I was just, I was at a moment, many, many of you have been at this moment where I'm just like, I'm, I'm done. I'm out like this. I can't, I can't handle this anymore. And I was out for a walk late at night. And I was just being really honest with God about how I'm feeling and, you know, what I was going through God's just so good. The, the very next morning, my, my personal quiet time, I, I read a passage of scripture each morning and, and I was working through the book of Hebrews. And the very next morning, I come to Hebrews chapter 12 and I read this in verse seven. Here's what the author of Hebrews says. Endure hardship as discipline. Whoa. Just like leapt off the page for me. Now, when I think about discipline, I think about, you know, what happens like with my kids at home. Like when you act up, there's consequences. And like when you, you're naughty, you, you have time out. That's a discipline. That, that's true. That's a form of discipline. 
But there's other types of discipline as well. I mean, there's the discipline that happens when you start exercising on a regular basis or you start eating healthy. You know, those are disciplines you can put into your life. Or when you're reading the Bible on a regular basis, that's a spiritual discipline that you can apply. But the author of Hebrews is saying that when we endure hardship, it's a form of discipline. Well, why would that be? Because God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? No, discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Is that true? Like how many of us are like, yeah, that's, that, that's true. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. And the, the big aha that God revealed to me is that when I'm going through a hardship, the reality is it's just that I'm not as mature as I needed to be. Just like I discipline my children because they're not as mature as they need to be. And so that just means that God's allowing me to go through this hardship and this difficult time because I'm not as mature as I need to be for the future that God has for me. How about you? God may be using the hardship that you're going through not to punish you. You're not going through a hardship because God's distant from you. You're going through a hardship because God wants to develop and mature you for what he has in your future. And so for us, like the, the, the perspective change that comes with that is that when we face hardship, it's actually productive. That God is using that hardship to produce within us a sense of hope that God's not done with us and that God has something for us and he loves us enough as his children to make us more mature. Folks, no other belief system in the world can say that. That God uses our situations and our circumstances not to define hope for us, but to create hope within us. So we could sum it up this way by saying this. Hardship makes us hopeful. Our situation doesn't dominate us. And right now, some of you are feeling dominated by your situation. But here's the thing. Hope is not about what is happening around us. Hope is happening is what's happening within us. And God will use those situations to create hope in you and in me. And so we need to daily go to God in prayer and say, God, I, I know this situation is difficult. You know this situation is difficult. But will you use it to produce within me righteousness and peace? Because that's what the author of Hebrews promises to us. Now, for many of us, we've got hope for the past, we've got hope for the present to get through these difficult times that we're in, but many of us are not fully aware of the hope in the future. But we can't miss this, the hope for our future. When we say yes to Jesus, we say yes to a new promise. New promise is this. One day, Jesus is coming back. He's going to return. He promised that he would, and he will do it. And when Jesus returns, there's going to be a day that's called the resurrection. What's going to happen is those who have died are going to be brought back to life. That, that's not an allegory. It's not metaphorical. It's not some spiritual resurrection where we become disembodied spirits floating on clouds. No, it is an actual bodily resurrection. 
And some of you might be worried. You're like, listen, if I'm in the grave for a long time, like what my body's going to look like, don't worry about that. Because it doesn't matter what condition your body is in or how it was scattered. It doesn't matter. What matters is that God's going to renew it. And it's going to be a glorified body. It's going to be better. It's going to be a heavenly body. Just like Jesus. Because Jesus literally rose from the dead on the third day after his death on the cross. And the resurrection of Jesus is not just a nice fairy tale ending to the Easter story. The resurrection of Jesus is the culmination of all of our hope. It is the proof that we too will rise again and be with God in glory someday. And this is such an important point that often Christians don't focus in enough on. For the Apostle Paul, this was everything wrapped into the Christian faith Faith was based on this point. That's why he says this in first, first uh, Corinthians. He writes this, he says, but if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, which it has been, that our whole gospel is based on the fact that Jesus rose from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? Apparently that church in Corinth, that's what they were teaching, that there wouldn't be a resurrection from the dead. And some people are believing that today who call themselves Christians. But Paul says you can't do that because he says if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. There's no positive vibes for the Apostle Paul. There's no like positive thinking and just like look on the bright side. No, no, no. If Jesus didn't rise, raise from the dead, we don't have anything to hold on to for hope. That's how seriously we need to take this. But folks, that is such good news because Paul goes on to say this. He says, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, talking about Adam, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man, talking about the second Adam, that is Jesus. And that gives to you and me confidence that there's going to be a future for us in glory with God forever. In fact, the Apostle Paul had such confidence in this belief. It so transformed who he was. He wrote this to the church in Philippi. He said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Meaning, because of this truth, everything that I do on this earth, I do for the glory of God and for, for Christ Jesus. But when I die, I gain glory. I gain heaven. And folks, that is the hope of salvation that you need to strap on when you are facing death yourself. Or when there's a loved one who's died and, and you're questioning and you're wondering, that's the helmet of salvation that you need to put tightly onto your head because you have to stand against the lies of the enemy, that there is a resurrection coming. And that gives us hope and confidence. And so we could summarize it this way by saying, we will be with God in glory forever. Our death doesn't defeat us. Isn't that good news? Isn't that good news that our death doesn't defeat us? You know, it, it, would, it, would, it would allow somebody to, to make this statement. They could say, you know, if I die, I know where I'm going. But if I live, I know what I'm doing. And those words, actually, those are the words from Chris, the, the man who was going through that awful, hopeless medical condition we talked about just a few minutes ago. And for him, these truths are what gave him hope in the midst of that hopeless situation. And we know that because that phrase 
And that description of hope, we heard from Chris back in February. See, it was Chris's birthday. He turned 62. And he was having coffee with his daughter. And for fun, she took her phone out and she started recording a video of her dad as she asked him all the things that he was looking forward to do in his 62nd year of life. And as he started listing all those things, he mentioned to her that he had this medical procedure that he had scheduled that was going to be upcoming. And that was the first time she heard about it. And so she started to get a little nervous and, and he started providing hope to his daughter about his perspective. And Chris, at the time of that recording in February, had no way of knowing that those words of hope weren't just for him and his hopeless situation, but those words of hope were actually for his friends and family because those words and that video was played at his own funeral just a few months ago. And in the midst of what seems to be a hopeless situation of death, his friends and his family, those of us in attendance, had hope because of where Chris had hope. I want you to watch that video right now. And playing baseball again this season. And then um, I'll make it to November. Some games. I, make no, it to some games. Yeah. And November, I'm considering open heart surgery. What? <laughs> I am. Actually. What? Dad, why? Because my valve is. It's time to maybe start. That's really scary. I think it's, it's, you know it is, but it isn't. It is, but it isn't because I've been looking at that since I was 16 years old. I know, but now you're so old. Why didn't you do it when you were 16? Because I didn't need to get done, and now it's just at a point where... You need to talk to Mr. Sofeld. Yeah, definitely. Sit down with him, take him out. Well, I've got another echo coming up next Monday, and then the Monday after that, I'm seeing uh, a, the heart surgeon, Dr. King, asking some questions and stuff. And, We'll see where we go. You're about the fourth, fifth person I've told you can't broadcast this. Do not. I mean, this is for my own personal record. Okay. Um, so what's happening is I have severe aortic stenosis, which means my aortic valve is tightening, mm -hmm. and because it's it's got calcification going on inside it, nothing you can do about it. And the symptoms are you get you get out of breath, you get fatigued, uh, you can't walk up a flight of stairs. So it's you, been happening. You uh, no, not okay. at all. So I'm not experiencing the symptoms. So what I want to do is get ahead of that before I have all the symptoms yeah. and get it done. And then I'm supposed to feel great afterwards. It's about a six week. Um, What's like, is it dangerous? Well, yeah, it's open heart surgery. It's major surgery, but it's com pretty commonplace right now too. Yeah. I'm gonna stick a pig valve in me and away I go. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll have more energy and feel better and everything after that's done from everything Can you I've imagine heard. what you what could do with your life if you had all that energy but conserved it? Um, That'd be pretty cool. What do you mean? Like, say you did the heart surgery and you're all set. It's like a used car. You don't want to drive too many miles on it. So no, what if, I want what to if, use it. Yeah, but like... Use it for the glory you could of God. You could, keep serving. Okay, good point. Keep, I'm not going to just go on and lay low and try right. to... And survive for the next 100,000 years. No. We don't do that. And I've learned a lesson in this. Are you still videotaping? Yeah, this? I don't okay. know. It's well, super here's, personal. Here's but. this thing. Here's this thing. The, so the valve is tightening, so your, your heart gets harder. It's harder to pump blood through it. Yeah. Okay? So here's the lesson. That calcification around 
around my valves like sin in our life. And the more we let sin creep in, the harder our hearts get. And if we, once we come to Christ, he gives us a new heart, a mm-hmm. heart of flesh, not a heart of stone. But he, God's, by God's grace, we have all our lives to place our faith in him, to walk with him, all our lives. Yeah. Whatever our lives entail from beginning to end, could be 62 years, could be 12 years, could be 102 years. Yeah. Whatever it is determined by God, his plan, our, our life. He gives us by his grace all that time to just recognize who he is and receive him for uh-huh. who he is. The sooner we do that, the better life is. The later we do that, we still enter into eternity with him, but we don't experience all the joy and the, the things that come with knowing him now. Uh-huh. So I'm thankful that at the age of 22, I came to Christ and I've been serving him and knowing him all these years. I've sinned, I've transgressed, but he forgives and, he, and by his grace, he keeps bringing me along and allowing me to walk with him. So I plan to do that and I have a perfect peace going into the surgery if I get it done. I, if I die on a table, I know where I'm going. If I extend it another 20, 30 years, I know what I'm doing. You know, it's the hope and the perspective that Chris had that's so inspiring to me but it's a hope and it's a perspective that's available for you and for me. We started this message by asking God to reveal to us a a word or a truth that we needed for our own lives. And so for you, I, I wonder which area it may be. You know, when we say yes to Jesus, we say yes to a new past. We say yes to a new perspective on our present. And we say yes to a new promise about our future which means that our past doesn't define us, our situation doesn't dominate us, and our death does not defeat us. So where do you need to put back on the helmet of salvation today? Would you bow your heads with me? Father God, we have heard from your word about the truth of the helmet of salvation. Father, how it provides for us hope. Lord, would you reveal to us now where we have removed the helmet of salvation? Father, where we have been susceptible to the lies of the enemy who's swinging the sword at our head. Father, there are some of us who need to know that we have a new past. Father, there are some of us who need to claim today that our situation is not what gives us hope, but Father, what you're doing in the midst of our situation. And Father, there are some of us who need to claim the hope we have for our future beyond our death. And right now, in the stillness of wherever you are, I wonder, do you remember when you said yes to Jesus? when you took that helmet of salvation for the very first time? For for some of you, that's a moment, and you remember that moment and that specific point in time. You know, for others of you, it was a season of life where you understood the gift of salvation and, and took on that helmet. But I wonder for others of you, if you've never had that moment, If you're questioning, if you're wondering, thinking maybe I've never said yes to Jesus, I want to give you an opportunity and an invitation to do that right here and right now. And the words don't matter as much as your heart matters. To not trust in yourself for hope, 
to not trust in your situation for hope, but to trust in Jesus for your hope. If you're ready to take that step, would you pray silently with me as I pray aloud? Father God, I acknowledge to you that I am a sinner. Father, my past is filled with more than just mistakes. Father, it's filled with sin. I have a debt that I cannot pay. I freely accept the gift that you give to me for the forgiveness of my sins. And I choose to follow after you, changing my perspective, committing myself to your ways for the rest of my life. And I believe that because of this free gift you give to me, one day, I will rise again with you. In Jesus' name, amen. And if you prayed that prayer or a version of that, I want to let you know you have become a new person. And all those promises we talked about today are now yours. In fact, I'd love to know, and we'd love to know here at Wooddale that you took that step. And if so, would you do this? Would you just go to our website, wooddale.org slash yes, and just fill out a very simple form. It just lets us know so we can come alongside and celebrate with you, but most importantly, so we can help you with some resources and a faith starter kit so you can keep that helmet of salvation firmly strapped on to your head. Now, I want to invite all of us to be back here next weekend because we are going to turn our attention finally to that pretty cool sword that's standing behind me in the sword of the Spirit. We'll look forward to seeing you then.